Like I dug in and I, I poured everything I had into my job. I stayed late. I didn't claim those hours, you know? Yes. You work yeah. for free. <laughs> I worked on the weekend. I was always available. Anytime they called me, I was available. And obviously we've been in our careers for a long time now. We both had some really hard lessons along the way that taught us the hard way that our personal time is just as important as work. When, yeah. so when we're at work, we'll work hard. But when the day ends, we go home. Hey there, my name's Ashley Church. And I'm Erin West. We were once newly promoted crime scene and latent print supervisors on mutual struggle buses as we both simultaneously tried to navigate through the challenges within our forensic units. Now we run a business where we create tools and resources that we wish we had had to make these transitions easier. We like to talk about the experiences we've had in the forensic field, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the hopes to create awareness around these issues and move the needle forward to create positive change in the forensic community. So if you're a forensic professional, regardless of your years of experience, who's not afraid to dive into real, raw, and sometimes uncomfortable topics, you're in the right place. This is the Forensics Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome. You always look so cute, girl. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that because I don't feel cute. <laughs> so um, this was actually the information that I'm going to share was actually shared on um, the Rachel Hollis podcast. She talked to the author of The Proximity Principle. If you haven't read that book, it's really good. On the podcast, he talks about the five stages of burnout. And so this is where I got the information from. The first one is no passion for the work. I think a lot of times you can see that like newly graduated forensic students because they literally get whatever job they can. So I know you've experienced it. I've experienced it too, where people like apply for the crime scene positions. And then we kind of show them around and be like, this is what we do. And they're like, oh, this is not what I want. Yeah. Um, and they just see it like as a stepping stone. So obviously like they're going to get burnt out real, real quick because they don't even like the job. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that what it looks like on TV versus what we learn about in school versus what we actually do are very, very different things. And so we do have a lot of people coming into the field who either weren't entirely aware of what they would be doing or how like all consuming of your life it would be. Yeah. Or, you know, they're coming out of school and looking for a job and they literally apply everywhere, everywhere across the country and they take whatever job they can. And then when they get that job, they don't really love it. So that can definitely cause burnout. I also think too, like a loss of passion for the job that yeah. can happen over time too. So it isn't necessarily just the newbies that are ending up in a field that they don't like. I think, you know, our lives change and our circumstance change and over the long course, like I'm always surprised, but that's, this is my personality. If you guys have ever watched these, you know, this is my nature, but I'm always baffled by people that can stay in the same job for like 30 years. Like I just can't keep it going that long, you know? And I definitely know CSIs who have been CSIs for 30 years, like 30 plus years. Um, people that work in labs for 30 plus years. People that do latent prints for 30 plus years. Oh. Like, <laughs> no <yeah>. offense. <laughs> yes. So, 
those people definitely the passion still burns in them like years and years and years since they started doing the job and that's amazing but that's not the case for everybody obviously as your life changes and circumstance changes you know your desire to continue doing a particular field might peter out and your interest in another field might grow so yeah I definitely can see that too. They say for this particular like cause of burnout, you could also be tasked with a bunch of stuff that you're really good at doing, but mm -hmm. you hate doing it. <laughs> so in that aspect, you may not hate like all of the job, but yeah. the stuff that they keep shoving your way, you're like, oh, I cannot stand this stuff. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely true. So I think when you're getting into forensics before you really specialize, if you're getting into like a generalized like crime scene unit or something like that, you're really doing little bits of everything. Become really proficient and really good at one particular thing. They may end up like always directing that thing to you, even if it's not something that you enjoy. So, yeah. I mean, this is going to sound insensitive if you're not in forensics, but like I can say from a crime scene investigator perspective, like there was a certain level of like, okay, I got this under the belt and the more violent crimes were way more exciting to me. And so I get really annoyed when you have to go do like those burglaries or those nonviolent crimes. I'm like, oh, this is a waste of my skills. Yeah. Well, the, the more violent crimes, they're more challenging. The, com the cases are more complex. So those are more challenging for you. Once you get yeah. to be more seasoned in your career, the, the more minor crimes are you're, you're kind of utilizing like more basic crime scene skills. Yeah. So. I really like, the agencies that have kind of a tiered approach. So like when you're a new hire, you get, you know, the baby crimes, the nonviolent crimes. And I think that's really great for newbies because it feels like you have less of a chance to screw something up or if you do, it's not as significant. And then they, you know, once you get more senior in the unit, then you kind of level up to the more violent crimes. I like that. I think that's a great way to reduce at least a little bit of the burnout. Yeah, I like the idea of it too. Um, and Ashley and I, we were both in a position where, you know, we were doing forensic work and then doing a lot of other tasks like writing SOPs and like building training programs and doing a bunch of stuff that wasn't necessarily in our lane. And yeah. that stuff causes burnout really bad too. Or if you have like, I know we talk a lot about crime scene units in here, but we're really talking about all forensics, but you know, if you have your forensic unit going um, and taking a bunch of photographs and doing a bunch of stuff with Girl Scouts and doing like this and that and all of these. Extras. When she says photographs, she means like award ceremonies. Yeah, literally, <laughs> yeah, literally like taking photo ops of, you know, the new hires and whatever. That stuff burns people out too, because you're already really busy with all of the work that you have. And then you're adding on all those extras on top of it. And I think that's really common to find agencies that are doing that with their crime scene units some of that stuff is fun and i volunteered for it like but there's some people that hate it number one and number two like that's why you have a public relations team yeah in my opinion but what do i know right <laughs> we're, we're talking about ways to eliminate burnout and i feel like that could be one of them you know yeah. eliminating those like allow them to focus on their casework and you know, not so much on this extra, extra stuff. Not saying yeah. it's not good for the agency, but they got other shit to do. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think something that a lot of agencies don't necessarily realize 
is that, you know, they have all of these different detective units that are doing different crimes. So you have a sex crimes unit, homicide unit, domestic violence, whatever. But you only have one crime scene unit that's working all of the crimes for all of those detectives. So when you have, you know, when the robbery unit's busy and the sex crimes unit's busy and the homicide unit's busy, the crime scene unit is busy times three <laughs> because yes. they're working all of those cases for all of those detectives. And so a lot of times we, you know, agencies don't always notice that the crime scene unit is really exhausted, that everybody's been out all day and all night for, you know, a week at a time or whatever. And then they add something on like, oh, and we need you to do an award ceremony on top of all of that when you've been out on search warrants and all these different cases. And that causes, that causes forensic professionals to get a little bitter. Yeah. <laughs> There's only so much like you can take on, (laughs) especially if they're going to like ring your ass about, you know, why didn't you prioritize this case or something? It's like, well, I would have. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I definitely had um, a hypothetical prior agency that I used to work for, may or may not have worked for. My husband was getting an award. And because the CSIs always photograph the award ceremony, they told me that I couldn't go attend the award ceremony as, as like his, I had to photograph it because how could they justify me being there without one of us photographing it? So literally like while my husband was receiving like a pretty prestigious award for the agency, I was kneeling at the foot of the stage taking photographs of everybody. I'm like, this is so fun. (laughs) But I feel like that's not, hugely uncommon so that's not you hear about it all the time yeah (laughs) they have the the nice cameras right yeah so mentioned that one topic that needs to be taught is case management because poor organization can lead to burnout I definitely agree with that yeah oh I think we have changing priorities in our casework all the time and not everybody's very effective at you know changing what they need to work on next and or it's a mindset thing because like some people just operate chronologically and if you go out of that order it sends them off edge it's yeah like, no i can't i can't i don't compute yeah um, we do have a lot of very meticulous professionals in our field yeah. and a lot of them are very orderly and like list people and all of that and that is not always efficient so it is not always efficient to go from A to Z sometimes to get through things a little more efficiently we have to be like okay I'm gonna work on A now I'm gonna work on F then I'm gonna go back to C so and we have to wrap our minds around that and that is very hard for some people for sure and we'll talk a little bit more about this in cause number three yeah so cause number two is boredom <laughs> and you and I uh, definitely have experienced this in our careers too yeah I'll admit that I mean I I've said many times I think that I think that we see a lot of law enforcement officers stay in their career for 30 plus years because they have the opportunity to do so many different jobs oh, at yeah. the department like or if they don't like the squad they're on hey there's plenty of others to choose yeah. from you, know, you could just hop around yeah or if you decide I want to level up and be on the canine unit or the aviation unit or the dive team unit or the SWAT unit, like there's so many things that you can work towards. Yeah, there's so many things that they can learn in the course of one career at one agency. So it doesn't really surprise me that they don't ever leave. Um, 
because I would, I mean, that would be great for me. Like if I worked at an agency like that, where I could try all these different things and learn all those, all these different things, that would be great for me. That's exactly what I need. But that, unfortunately, that really doesn't exist for forensics because most, yeah. most agencies have a very small department. You don't have a lot of growth opportunity. Maybe you don't have a lot of different disciplines. So, you know, maybe your agency just has a crime scene unit and that's it. You know, you don't have another unit where you can go and train to be a latent examiner or train to be a firearms examiner or whatever. Those are just little things they add on to the crime scene unit. So like, oh, well, we're going to give you a week of latents. Now you're a latent examiner. Like they don't really train <laughs> you up to do that skill set. Yeah. So it's not surprising that like on top of the workload and the call outs and all of that stuff, that CSIs eventually, not just CSIs, forensic professionals eventually get bored. Many forensic professionals are very highly educated and they like a challenge. They want a challenge. They want to learn. They want to learn new things. And so it's not surprising that they get bored and they, they end up going to other agencies where they can have more opportunities to learn something new. Absolutely. And like you said, just a new challenge. Like, you know, I want different tasks, different responsibilities. Like I definitely am not the person that can rinse and repeat for 30 years. Like give me something else to do. I can't. <laughs> more power to you guys that can hang yeah. in for 20, 30 years. I just, I can't. It's yeah. Oh, so death for me. <laughs> and like you said, the growth opportunity, like, yeah. I mean, some people are waiting over a decade just to get like the next bump up, like the assistant squad leader spot or something like that. Yeah. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And there's only one position open and they're fighting with five other people. And it's like, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> like my supervisor is going to retire in 20 years. So if I just hang in there, I might. Maybe have I'll get it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We do a pretty poor job. I don't know how the labs are. But at least at the law enforcement agencies, I feel like we do a really poor job about allowing growth opportunities in forensic units. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just don't be surprised when people leave. You yeah. know, it's either you create more growth opportunity or don't be so bitter and hateful when they're like, OK, well, I'm going to I'm going to go now, yeah. <laughs> you know. I think if you don't have growth opportunity and you don't have other things that they can learn then you should expect them to go. And um, I also think if you work for an agency where you do have opportunity for them to transfer to another unit and learn something new, like, don't be butthurt if they want to transfer. Yeah. <laughs> like, people I don't know. So I was, like, kind of talked about that with, like, changing agencies and changing careers. Yeah, I missed that one. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, like, definitely something that's taboo. Like, yeah. people get super bitter or like they feel like you're a traitor just hopping over to a different unit. But what do you expect them to do? I've actually heard quite a few stories about like agencies that have that opportunity where they have multiple different units that forensic people can go into and they have let people transfer and learn a new skill and do that for a couple of years. Okay. So the third one, which I think is going to be the bulkiest of our conversation is okay. overwhelm. Cause I think that runs very deep in like all forensic units. What? It doesn't matter if you're crime scene or latents or in the lab, like everyone has a shitload of work on the desk. No, agreed. I, I'm, I'm like literally confused when agencies are like, yeah, we're totally caught up on everything. And I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> yeah. 
So, like, you're not understaffed like the rest of us are. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, most agencies are working understaffed, one. Two, like, they have a larger caseload than the, the amount of people that they have. And a lot of agencies have gotten really efficient about, like, well, this is how many staff I have. And so I'm going to... I'm going to look at my casework and decide how I can work more efficiently to get through more casework. So that though, but then we present that idea and it gives people heartburn. Oh, you're telling me I have to skip this part. It's like, yeah, it's, it's either you continue to have a ever going backlog or you have to trim some fat. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's why whenever I hear an agency, it was like, yeah, we have, you know, we, we get hundreds of cases every month and we're short people and we're completely caught up. I'm always like, how, <laughs> like, how what are you, are you doing everything? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we do everything. Like that's not possible. So mm-hmm. I think I have worked in forensic. I started in 2006. I have always had a stack of shit on my desk. Oh, yeah. like, I don't ever remember a time where I like got to the bottom of my pile ever. <laughs> Ever, ever, ever. Like, I always had tons of crime scene reports that were pending. Always had in-house backed up. Always had, like, when I started here, latents, tons and tons of latents. I mean, still, I transferred into this position in January. And, like, I'm really not taking new cases anymore because I have so much other stuff going on. And I literally cannot get the cases I have off my desk. Like, you can't get them worked. So that is is a heavy burden for really for all forensic professionals. Like crime rates continue to increase, staffing continue to go down. I do feel like if you're coming into this field, like you just have to get in the mindset of like, it's just the way it is. I guess that's awful to say, I don't know. But just like having piles of stuff on your desk is, it's fine as long as you have iced coffee, right? I'm dead inside. It's fine. I just got my it's fine. I'll just have more iced coffee. Well, okay. So I'm not trying to like throw leadership under the bus, but I do think going off of what you said, whenever we talk about stats, people are always like, oh, I don't, well, stats, no. Like, yeah. But, you know, I truly don't think leadership is doing enough to justify that they need more staff if they're not using stats, statistics, to back that up. So explain how you did that with the backlog and the caseload. Oh, I mean, we keep we keep insane stats. Like, if you guys have ever taken our supervision class, like, we will show you guys and share our stat logs with you guys. And most people in the class are like, I roll, like those stats are insane, you know, but we have, I mean, we use them all the time to justify all kinds of stuff. So this year we got, we just got another latent examiner position, which basically I took our stats and said, you know, like, this is our current level of backlog. This is how many cases a trained latent examiner can work. And I had been tracking that for years. We've kept stats for years. So I can tell you on average exactly how many cases a a fully trained latent examiner can work at our agency doing all the things that we do. And I extrapolated that into the future. And I was like, okay, this is our percent of increasing cases every year based on our crime rate. This is how many cases our examiners can work. 
So I basically said, like, if we don't hire an examiner, then in 2022, this will be our backlog. In 2023, this will be our backlog. In 2024, this will be our backlog. And I just showed, like, the backlog continuing to grow. Yeah. And, um, and that's how you have to talk yeah. to the chain of command. Yeah. So you know what most people do in forensic units that are in leadership, because they no one ever taught them. It's not their fault. But all they do is send up a memo or a request like, hey, we need a new position. But they don't have compelling stats like that to show like, okay, well, this is how far we're going to be in the weeds in five years. Would you like to add another position now? You know. And so far as to say like all the reasons why that impacts the community, because really at the end of the day, that's what the agency is concerned about. You know, I went through even like I showed how much of a backlog we would have in the next, how, how much the backlog would increase. But then I also was like, you know, this is going to impact our community in ways, you know, like we're not going to be able to close out cases. We're going to have difficulty prosecuting, like all these different things to justify that position. Now, this year, I'm intending on doing the same thing with our crime scene stats. So our crime scene unit right now is um, feeling the pressure, right? Because to if you are caught up on all of your stuff, then you can't justify more people. Like, because obviously you can handle the workload with what you've got. So um, our crime scene unit, their stats have gone up significantly and they're feeling really stressed about it, which I understand, but I had to have a talk with them too. Like this is, this is what we have to go through to justify more people. Like we have to have more work than we can handle so that we can justify asking for more positions. So, but stats are comfortable feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Like you're just going to have to feel, feel okay about it for a little while. I think we also kind of perpetuate this overwhelm issue right from training, right from when we have a trainee, like what uh, gets rewarded gets repeated. And I know because I was one of them, you, you, the trainees that like stayed late, stayed extra hours, you know, did extra things. And, and I'm not talking about by a few minutes, talking about by hours. We usually praise that. We're like, yeah, good job. You're a go getter. And guess what? They continue to do that throughout their career. And of course, they're going to be overwhelmed because no one can keep up with the the caseload that way. Burnt out. Yeah, I'm burnt out because they're sacrificing their personal time. They're, they're sacrificing their decompression time. Just yes. More time just trying to get through the work. And we, like, we, again, we talk about this in our classes, like, we are never like we're all running on a hamster wheel we are never going to get to the end of our pile like you can sacrifice all your personal time for forever you might get down to the end of your pile today but guess what tomorrow there's a whole shitload more cases coming in so if we teach our employees to not spend time with your family not spend time with your friends not go home when the day is done because we have work we have to get done, they'll burn out so much faster because they yeah. never get through the work. And then they also don't leave work and decompress. Yeah. I think there's been research that's been going on now based off of their results. They see burnout specifically in crime scene units within three to five years. That's, that's quick. And I think if we keep heading that direction, it's just going to get shorter. Yeah, no, I completely believe that. So hopefully Whoever's listening, you are not one of these people. But I have also seen people that take their reports home. There's a whole ethical side to that. Like, you shouldn't do that because of, you know, um, case information and whatever. But they would take their reports home to get caught up writing their reports. They bring it back into the office. And then they get praised 
from the leadership. Like, look, they can stay on top of their casework and everyone else in the office knows, well, the only reason they're able to do that is because they take their shit home. Yeah. Um, so don't be that person. Number yeah. one, like, wrong. Like we definitely stay late. We definitely work over our yeah. hours. But I mean, we both had some hard lessons, like hard, hard lessons throughout our career that have really taught us. Because I was a hundred percent that way when I first started my career. Ashley probably Ugh. too. Just knowing her personality, she probably was too. Like I dug in and I I poured everything I had into my job. I stayed late. I didn't claim those hours, you know. Yes, you work yeah. for free. <laughs> I worked on the weekend. I was always available. Anytime they called me, I was available. And obviously, we've been in our careers for a long time now. We both had some really hard lessons along the way that taught us the hard way that our personal time is just as important as work. When, yeah. So when we're at work, we'll work hard. But when Absolutely. the day ends, we go home, you know? I mean, sometimes I'll have, like, because I do try to leave at 5. Like, when the day is over, even if I have stuff that I have to get done, like, it'll still be there tomorrow. And I've had some of my command staff tease me about, like, oh, you work baker's hours? Like, stuff like that. Um, and they don't know, you know, they don't know my personal life. They don't know my backstory or any of the things that have happened to me and, and my reasons why I get up and leave at 5. But you guys should too, okay? Get oh, up, yeah. go home, go out to dinner with your spouse, whatever, you know? Like, do the reports will be there. Yeah. They'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> but definitely will still be there. So, there's obviously got to be a give and take because you're either going to take on more cases. Like, I know that from training, there's like people I ran into, like in North Carolina, and they would have eight cases a night. And they have to write their reports before they go home. Yeah. And, and there is no way in hell they're doing the same level of documentation that we were doing in Osceola. So it's a give and take, you know? Yeah. You either have to expect that if you can't afford more staff, then you have to reduce the, the number of forensic services that you offer, the number of processes that you offer. Or, you know, completely, like, I think they were at the point where any evidence, it doesn't matter what it was, like swabbing for DNA, processing for prints, that was all done by another lab. And that's the only way you could do it. Yeah. You know? And we've had, I mean, we've heard so many things for the latent unit too. Like, I've heard of so many different things different agencies are doing to be more efficient with their casework. And I can tell you personally, like, when I heard some of the things that other agencies were doing, I was like, oh, scandalous. Oh, you can't do that. And now, like, now I'm like, hmm, there might be some merit to that, you know? So, yeah, I mean, every, every agency is, like, just doing the best they can with what they have. But absolutely something has to give. Either you do all the things every time and stuff just backs up, stuff just starts to stack up. Or, you know, is it more important for your community and, and your, the victims in your community and, and the people in your unit to be able to do something on every case, even if it's not all the things versus doing all the things on just a few cases, because you can't, you don't have time to get to all of them, you know, or you're getting to them like a year or two years down the road. Like what's better for your... Yeah. Which for the nonviolent crimes, that's not going to help you. Like the statute of limitations already done. Yeah. Yeah. So number four, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is going to, I'm sure if some people are going to roll their eyes is underappreciated. Oh yeah. 
if you're underappreciated, I'm not talking about for like a year or two. I'm talking about the duration. <laughs> Some people are never recognized or awarded or anything. And they constantly see like, I remember being involved in cases and every single person, like the dispatcher, the, you know, first responding deputy, the detective, like every single person in that case would be recognized and they'd forget the crime scene unit. And yeah. there's only so many times that you can go through that experience over and over and over again, where you're just like, man, yeah. what am I doing? It's, yeah. I mean, the forensic units are literally helping solve crimes. Like oftentimes our latent print unit is providing a suspect name to the detectives. And, you know, sometimes those kinds of things will be issued out or it'd be like, way to go, Detective so-and-so. Like, well, Detective so-and-so wouldn't even have a name if it wasn't for the latent print unit, you know? Yes. The forensic unit, like stuff like that. So, but we hear a lot. It's not even just the other people that we work with. I mean, because we train all leaders, like everybody that we're training is a leader in their unit. We hear a lot of people like, well, why would I give them praise for that? They're just doing their job. Mm -hmm. And we argue that you can still tell somebody that they're doing a kick-ass job, even if they're supposed to be doing that thing. Like, it's okay to be like, you know what? You kicked ass today. <laughs> Absolutely. And in this category, they said it's little to no recognition or rewards for contribution combined with low compensation, because that's also another way or another form that you can show appreciation. And I know, like you said, we, we teach leaders, um, like this last batch of forensic field training officers, very low percentage of them are actually getting paid to be a field training officer. So they're taking on this extra responsibility. It's a very high liability responsibility too. And they're not getting compensated or recognized for it. Yeah. And for a lot of us, truly, there there's nothing we can do about the pay or very little we can do about the pay. And that's why recognition is so important yeah. the pay that's not immediate and and it doesn't last forever you know if if you get your people a small raise i mean they'll be excited for a week or two and then that that Move on. <laughs> extra dollars on their paycheck is spent and it's not you know it's not enough to like most of us are not arguing and getting our people like 15 percent raises that really just doesn't happen so um but the recognition thing I think there are big ways that you can give your people recognition that really are at no cost to you at all. Like I worked for a department that gave out, um, they were little glass plaques and they had like a, work, a word on them, like achievement and a quote or whatever. And they were free. And you could put anybody in for one of those plaques. Like you would just type up like a little blurb about what they did. And then they would get that nice glass plaque. Yes. It takes like five minutes of your day, but that's a nice little something, you know, even I think like just writing a memo to say like so-and-so did whatever, like it's so sad. I tell this story in some of our classes. Yeah. Tell it. It's so sad. <laughs> yeah. At our agency, we have civilian like employees of the month and we have sworn employees of the month. And so I put one of my people in for civilian employee of the month and she was selected i put one of the latent examiners in for it she was selected she was awarded an employee of the month and then when the end of the year came around she was actually awarded employee of the year as well and what i found out at the end of the year was that of all the civilian supervisors 
only two employees had been put in for the entire year. So she had a 50-50 shot of getting employee of the year, which they awarded it to her. But like, how freaking sad is that? We have hundreds of civilians at my department. And, and only two for the whole year. <laughs> wrote a memo like saying, hey, you guys did a great job. We didn't even have 12. We didn't even give out like one employee every month of the month. We only had two. And then two people to choose from for employee of the year. Now for employee of the month and employee of the year, like she got free days off and like they gave her like a jacket, like all this stuff that didn't cost me, it didn't cost me a penny besides just writing the memo and submitting it to the awards committee. And she got like, I think in total, she ended up getting like four days paid off. Like that's a nice reward for, for working hard. And it literally took barely any of my time and very minimal effort just to say like, thanks, you know? So like how many of us do that? You don't have to be a supervisor to do that. You can put anybody in for an award, like just thanks for helping me out. And even if they don't get something like that, they can still get recognition from their agency, like get recognition in award ceremonies. Maybe they get a little plaque or a little pin that they can wear on their uniform or whatever. It's just nice to be acknowledged, you know? Yeah. So. I think that's longer lasting than the just a couple cents <laughs> extra yeah. on my paycheck. We did do um, at the FBI lab, we had an anonymous, I don't remember what we called it. Literally the what's coming to mind is the snap cup. <laughs> it was not a snap, snap cup. cup. <laughs> snap cup. But it was literally like anybody could put in a comment about anybody else. And we would read those off at the monthly meeting too. And they were really nice. Like people were like, you know, so-and-so helped me in my case, casework the other day. And it was really such a great help. And I really appreciated it. Like nobody ever says that to your face. That's so nice to hear that stuff in, in that. Kind and of she place. doesn't even have the feels guys. I don't. <laughs> Nobody's. I do. I'm all right about now, it. Ever. But it's still nice to hear that. So yeah. we want to talk about solutions to reduce burnout. I could 100% use a nap every day. <laughs> you know, actually, I know they haven't done a lot of studies on like forensic professionals, but I went to, I, I saw a wellness webinar. I went to it for law enforcement and it was talking about like, they've done a lot of research on law enforcement and talking about like allowing law enforcement to work out during the day really helps with like, they know that law enforcement officers get heart disease and and other problems and PTSD and all of that kind of stuff. And just allowing them to work out paid on their shift reduces health problems significantly. And yeah. literally at the end of the class, they were like, is there any other like disciplines or whatever? And I actually wrote in there, I was like, I would be interested to know these stats for forensics, you know, because I think that if they put those kinds of wellness things in place for, for some of the people in our field, that would probably make a significant difference as well. I think so too. I mean, there's studies on it, regardless of what field you work in, like you need that brain break. If you actually want to continue being productive throughout the day, like there's no way that you can be productive for a full eight hours. And I know that some people that are completely reconstructing like a forensic unit, they're trying to add decompression rooms too, which I think would be a great idea Yeah, to try to help reduce burnout, you know? Especially, like, they had to have done those studies for firefighters for them to have those types of rooms, right? Oh, sure, yeah. Fire and law enforcement, for sure. Now they're spreading into, like, paramedics, and they're spreading into, like, comm centers. Disasters, yeah. Yeah, but they still don't really, I don't think anybody's really looked into forensics yet, so. They should. 
any grad students here, that's a fantastic research project. Oh my gosh, do your thesis on it. Tell us the results. <laughs> okay, so the last one is toxic environment that can lead to burnout. Absolutely. We've seen it all the time. I'm not going to name names, but it's been <laughs> The office climate, the working conditions, and or coworkers make the job unenjoyable. And all of that is usually a result of bad leadership. Yep, 100%. That's something that I think we have a lot of supervisors come to the supervision class like looking for like a, like a fix for their units. And I think some of them get really offended when we're like, listen, if you got problems in your unit, almost always it comes down to the supervisor like almost yeah. time so either even if you're like well it's specifically sally in my unit who's a problem but you're not dealing with sally but you're not it's handling sally problem. yeah so you're not <laughs> handling sally the way that needs to be handled so sally's pissing everybody else off so yep. in in the supervision class we talk about if you have problems in your unit it's like 95% of the time, it's either something that you are doing that pisses everybody off, or it's something that you're not doing that's causing a problem, like not addressing Sally when Sally needs to be addressed. So yes, most of the time, a toxic environment will stem from the leadership, whether they realize it or not. I think work conditions, I think many agencies are working with like, Broken equipment, limited equipment, limited space, uh, you know, kind of squished into a small area, all of that kind of stuff. But toxic work environments, even if your coworkers are toxic, it's a result of a supervisor not handling the problem, like at yep. the end of the day. They're allowing that problem to continue on. Sorry, supervisors. <laughs> yeah. I know supervisors don't like to hear that because we want to just like pin pin the blame on one person and be like, well, their behavior is out of control or whatever. Well, at the end of the day, you know, we're we're not addressing the behavior or whatever. The problem usually rolls back on us. Yep, yep. So those are the five things that can lead to burnout, and it's definitely prevalent in all forensic units. I think, um, unless you just work at a really amazing one, I'm not saying that's impossible. There are definitely those out there where people are like, no, we're all good. Like, we're all happy. But if you but are I out. Think, I, I, even though I love to hear that, that's great. I also think that's temporary. Like, yeah, people tell me that. I'm like, it's just a temporary thing. Like, over time, the unit. Not to be cynical. <laughs> yeah, well, the unit will change. The people will change. People will leave. You'll get new employees in. Um, equipment and technology will change. So, even if everything is like perfect and harmonious for a period of time, like there'll be a time when that changes, you know, the environment changes. So I think some things that we can do to counteract burnout is like one, go home when your damn shift is done. Okay. <laughs> Leave yourself on your desk and come back to it tomorrow. It's okay. And like, yes. Take a day off. Take your yeah, fucking vacation. Like, you don't get an award for how many hours, vacation hours you have, you know? Like, nope. if some people pride themselves, like, I have 500 vacation hours. That means you need a freaking vacation, okay? I'll even suggest it sometimes. Like, I have um, one of my employees right now. She's got almost 700 hours. And every oh time my I God. you should take some time off. <laughs> like, now, whatever. If she doesn't want to take it off, she doesn't want to take it off. But... 
I mean, I don't even care. Like, they don't even have to tell me why they're taking off. Like, if you've got the time, take it. Enjoy it. Like, whatever. So, yeah, use your use your PTO. Take your time. Obviously, be responsible. We're not telling you to burn every inch of time that you have left. But, like, don't feel guilty about, I really want to go to my sister's wedding. Or I really want to go to my son's football game. Or I really want to go to whatever I've heard so many people say like, oh, I can't do that because I can't take off work. Listen, nobody's going to die. It'll be fine. Like the, the office will survive without you. It's perfectly fine. Continue to do that, like staying on the same topic. If yeah. you continue to do that over a long period of time, do not be surprised when you feel burned out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, my husband's one of those. He likes to see the time in the bank. Like he'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm what, adding- what are you saving it for if you're not going to go on vacation? <laughs> My comp time bank, I, I want to hit like so many hours in my bank. I'm like, for what? You know? And then you'll talk to him about like, hey, do you want to take a day off? And he'll, he'll, you know, feel stressed about it. And like, I don't always want to. I mean, we take time off to go teach and stuff like that. And sometimes I feel bad where I'm like, oh, I'm taking off another week, you know? But everybody will be fine. Everybody will survive. It will be okay. So take some time off. Go home when your day is done. If your shift starts at 8, do not get there at 7.15 every morning and give 45 minutes of your morning to the office for free every single day. Don't don't give your time away for free. Your time is valuable. Go home. Enjoy your family. Get a hobby that is unrelated to work. You must do something that is that you enjoy doing that has nothing to do with your office, nothing to do with work. That does not mean like you go home and watch crime dramas or you go to the shooting range and you shoot firearms or whatever. You have to do something unrelated to work. Make make friends and hobbies and things outside of the workplace. Um, get massages. We like massages. <laughs> we highly recommend happy. And happy people just don't kill their husbands. <laughs> right. Get a massage. And I think I, I miss the conversation about like changing jobs and stuff like that. But if you're bored out of your mind and you're really tired of doing what you're doing, and there's nowhere for you to go at your agency. Like, it's not going to get better if you stay there for 15 more years. So you either have to talk with your leadership about, like, I need more challenges and more growth opportunity and see if there's an avenue for that for you at your agency. Or you have to look elsewhere, you know, because life is short and you should be happy. <laughs> yes, we preach this all the time. Yes. You're going to continue to be miserable. And if you're miserable... The other people in your unit are also going to be miserable. Um, So, you know, sometimes the whole point of this is you have to do a little bit of self-reflection and figure out why you're burnt out in the first place. Is it because I don't have passion for the work? Is it because I'm overwhelmed? Is it because I'm bored? Is it because I feel underappreciated? And is it, or is it because there's a toxic environment or all of the above? And Figure out ways that you can alleviate some of that burnout. Like Erin said, maybe that would require you to go to a different agency or go to a different unit or try a new challenge. Or you might have to ask your leadership for things um, in order to kind of alleviate that burnout. But if you're feeling that sort of way, figure out what yeah. the root cause is and try to alleviate this. Yeah, uh, it doesn't generally get better. You're just going to yeah. start to feel more hostile. <laughs> Or you shut down and you just start to feel through it, you know? So, yeah. We've seen that too. I've seen that in forensic units where either people shut down 
or they just have that screw it mentality and then they just that that can kind of get a little bit dangerous too you know you don't want that in the forensic field yeah definitely not, definitely not. so hopefully this helps you um i know a lot of you guys are probably in that burnout stage right now you are not alone we've all felt that um but there there are some things that are within your control to help thanks for joining us again guys Thank you so much for being here and listening to Forensics Unfiltered. If you liked this episode, would you do us a favor and leave a review letting us know specifically what you liked about this topic? It will only take a minute, but it will really help us plan future episodes so we can bring you more topics that you want to listen to. We'll be sure to provide any links from today's episode in our show notes on our website. Head to www.gapscience.com. Until next time, stay safe out there.